From the Center for Conscious Communication, this is Leading Life. Hi everyone, my name is Stacy Carruth and I'm the founder of the Center for Conscious Communication and this is Leading Life, a podcast spotlighting women business leaders who are making a difference, following their passion and challenging the status quo. Today, my guest is Leah Burback, chef, owner of Heirloom and Native, a food service company that focuses on Wyoming chef-crafted foods. Welcome, Leah. I'm so glad you're here. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I want to jump right in, Leah. If I had to describe the name Heirloom and Native, the first thing that comes to my mind is honoring our history. Can you tell me where the name Heirloom and Native came from and what it means and then how it relates to your personal history? Yeah, so Heirloom and Native to me is Heirloom Skills and Native Ingredients. And originally when I was thinking about naming my business, I've been plotting for years, um, I was going to name it Kate and Clyes. And those are my two great grandmas on both sides, and they both had so much impact on me as far as cooking and preserving and being able to survive in the middle of nowhere on a ranch in South Dakota and taking some of those skills that they've taught me or taught their children and bringing those back, taking foods that have been grown from the land and being able to turn them into something that will last all winter. So that really is a very important to me and my company, bringing the Wyoming food that's being produced back to the Wyoming people. Mm. Mm, yeah, so the history with your grandmothers and then preserving that, really, and also preserving these foods that can then be eaten later. So, Leah, you started out if I remember correctly, in chemical engineering and then became a chef. Can you explain that transition and how the two are connected? Yeah, so in high school, I was super fascinated with chemistry, physics, calculus, for whatever reason, and just loved the content behind that science and math and how things just made sense. You would have two things, two variables, put them through some sort of a reaction and then have something that it would create. And then when I got to the University of Wyoming and got in the field doing a work-study program and was around engineers, I realized that I don't want to be stuck in a lab, a windowless lab forever, (laughs) and that there has to be some way to have these same chemical reactions that have immediate results that I can see, that I can share with people. And I kept trying to escape that feeling of being isolated by reaching out to some of my other friends or other students and cooking for them and realizing that this is the same thing. I just get to eat my results. Mm. And so it was nice to be able to be like, oh, This is instant gratification. I get to see the smiles on people's faces and I really get to do that chemical reaction and find new ways, but also create art out of it. And so you left the University of Wyoming and moved to Colorado 
and went to a school there. Is that right? Yes. Then I went to culinary school at the Art Institute and worked in fine dining, fine catering, coffee shops, markets, whatever I could get my hands on. I was in the food service industry for, I think it's been 17 years now. So even before I had decided this was my career, I was working at diners or at the country club or somewhere to be actively involved in cooking. So can you tell me a little bit about your experience working for people in the field and growing your knowledge? Yeah, so at first I was just overwhelmed by learning so many new things, different ways to do things, and seeing how many chefs there were with their shiny chef jackets or their crazy colored socks, and really finding that I didn't appreciate the brigade system or the yes chef mentality. It goes a long way because you should be learning and respecting the seniority of the people before you and you have a lot to learn from them. However, it has come to a fault in our industry and it's really damaging the creativity, the art side of the culinary world because we're being squashed into this little box of yes chef, everything should be a certain way and there's no room for your creativity or your mental health within that. You have to meet a certain productivity level. You have to meet, you know, a very specific set of guidelines and you don't get to express yourself in that way. And because of that, I saw so many chefs that would burn out, mm. that would lash out. A lot of them are abusing substances whether that's just alcohol or much farther. I'm sure people have heard the horror stories or watched some of the movies. And so I'm just trying to change that narrative a little bit. It, it shouldn't be the same way we, we've always done it. It would be better if we can move forward. And myself as a chef, I'm always like, if you know a better way or if you know another way, please teach that to me and I can learn from you and you can learn from me. That is the point of doing something like an art or a science together. I can teach you a technique that creates this reaction in this way, but maybe you have a more efficient way of doing that or a more beautiful way of doing that. So being able to share those experiences in the kitchen can't be squashed down by Yes Chef. So it sounds like there is a collaborative element that you want to add into your business. Yeah, I really want to work with fellow chefs, fellow cooks, but also the people that are actually growing and raising the ingredients. We should be giving that respect to the place that we're from in that these farmers and ranchers work really hard out in the fields. I got to watch my grandpa when I was younger work himself to the bone to create beef to sell at the market and to have someone honor those ingredients, he was always beaming with joy, even if he just worked 18 hours. Mm. So a little bit of honoring my history goes into this, showing that I know how hard they work. I know, you know, what goes into this and I want to show everyone else how much that can shine with just a little bit of what I can do. So I want to come back to that collaboration and and who you're collaborating with and first let's talk a little bit about this 
move from Colorado to Wyoming. So after years of working in the field in Colorado, you chose to move to Wyoming and created a catering side hustle, if I am remembering that correctly. I wonder then what made you decide and take the leap to go all in in uh, with Heirloom and Native? Yeah, so the big push for me to leave Denver was really not feeling connected. That same feeling that I got being stuck in the engineering field in a windowless lab was how Denver was starting to feel. It was like I couldn't be part of the community, I couldn't be connected, and that I would just get pushed to the next restaurant, the next new thing, the next spot. I couldn't create my own space and be celebrated with other people. And so when I moved back to Wyoming, I realized just how far behind our food system is here because we are reliant on things coming from Denver or Billings. And those things get shipped in from thousands of miles away on top of that. So finding a way to connect with these farmers and ranchers, and that ultimately came through Eat Wyoming, being able to access that virtual farmer's market that goes from Jackson to Gillette to Torrington to Cheyenne, all over the state, and really bring that food to me and then share it with the other people. And originally this started as just cake decorating at home, inheriting my grandma's equipment and realizing like tub frosting is disgusting and people need better cake to celebrate. And I like being part of those celebrations. And so starting small and doing cakes, and I say small, I did 12 dozen cupcakes and a seven-tiered cake for a double quinceanera when this was a side hustle. <laughs> so small is sort of relative, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, but then realizing that more and more people are starting to be actively interested in farm-to-table, mm -hmm. knowing where their food comes from, honoring those ingredients, and supporting more local people. And I actually did, as a side hustle, a whole wedding, cake and all, food, I think four-course meal, at what is now the Bloomery. And they were super excited to support me, and I just wasn't quite ready to take that leap. So then when I started realizing that all the other jobs I was finding were great, but not creating that feeling of connection for me, I was like, it's time. Even if money is an issue, it's time to start however I can. So you saw a need and there was a need in you too to connect with people in a really meaningful way through the food that you create, it sounds like. So when did you take that leap? How many years ago? It's been about a year. May mm -hmm. 17th was our one year. So starting really small with small prepared meals or private chef things in people's homes and then moving up to things like Funky Junk District. I've been to three major Funky Junks, and she had several market in the yards, which were the smaller events last year. So I was there for every one of those. Mm -hmm. And other events like Women Building Wyoming at the Industrial Building, or the Bloomery Farm. I've been to a few of the concerts and plan to be there for the ones this summer. So trying to find places that are already attracting the people that have similar ideals and things that they want out of food and going there and supporting the similar businesses in that way. 
So can you explain the purpose then of Heirloom and Native and kind of those buckets, those those uh, focuses that you have for your business? Yeah, so primarily what I'd like to start with, because we are not a physical location for people to come and visit yet, is catering or special events. So becoming part of these celebrations is our ultimate goal. We want to connect with people and their guests. We want people to want to share Wyoming food with the people that they gather with. And so that comes down to special events, things like a small birthday party, or you have 12 family members come into town and, oh my gosh, how am I going to cook and or book a reservation for 12 family members? That's where we can step in and bring food to you and help share that. But we also do things for families or busy professionals like prepared meals. Say you want to enjoy Wyoming foods and you got a veggie box subscription but you have no time to cook it or you have no idea what to do with the ingredients in it. We can help prepare those things so that they are either ready to eat or ready to throw together within 15 to 30 minutes, making it a little bit easier for you or your family to eat better with less processed foods. And that does also help people with dietary restrictions or allergens. People with newly developed allergens in particular start to eat much more poorly because they don't know how to feed themselves. They're having to completely change their routine, their diet, their eating style to match that. And we can help do that. So you've mentioned Wyoming food, veggie boxes, and Eat Wyoming. Let's talk a little bit about what is Eat Wyoming and how does that in your partnership with Eat Wyoming contribute to eating more Wyoming food and and promoting the veggie boxes. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I can. Um, you've actually already had Eat Wyoming's lady extraordinaire on your podcast, Leanne yes. Miller. Her and I are actually the Leah and Leanne show. If we go out anywhere, we're together asking people about either, you know, this virtual farmer's market, she's helping promote my chef business, or we're out together with the Casper Community Greenhouse Project, trying to bring greenhouses and growing to our schools first and foremost, but now we're working on a community project where people can come and learn how to grow. And it's a huge focus on that education aspect, with which both her and I are super passionate about. And that's the other portion of my business is those private workshops, teaching people what to do with the food or how to cook something new using an heirloom skill with the native ingredients that Eat Wyoming helps provide. Yeah, can you explain your workshops and where do you do those workshops? Um, it really depends on what you want to learn. So Obviously, cooking workshops is one of the primary things, and I have a kitchen that we can work out of, or if you want me to come to your home and teach you and your spouse or your loved one how to cook something together, I have a dinner for two cooking workshop. I also understand that sometimes loved ones don't cook well together, so it can be your partner in crime, (laughs) mother, daughter, whoever you want to actually cook with or learn something new with. As well... It's not just the cooking of the food that truly matters to me, and that is evident by our logo, but also how active we are at places like the Bloomery. 
my mom has been in the Forest Service since before I was born and has taught all of us children and other children that she ha happens to gather into a range club group about how to identify native plants. And that comes with knowing what's edible, if there's any medicinal qualities, poisonous things either to eat or to the touch. And so I realized when I came back and was assessing our food system that we have so much that we can use that's growing outside that literally withstands our climate, which is impressive. And so teaching people that we can use some of those native plants in our cooking is one of my other workshops. And so it's basic foraging. We do not focus on mushrooms. I'm not comfortable telling people you have a 30% chance of eating the right mushroom. <laughs> but that is something that I am learning, that I am reaching out to learn. Um, but those foraging workshops can be a group that you sign up for, or you can have a private foraging workshop. Say you have your own piece of land and you just want to learn more about what's on your space and how you can help the right things survive or eat some of the things that shouldn't be there. I can help assess that. Can you give me an example? I have land and I don't forage and I might like to. So what's what are a couple of examples of something I might be able to take advantage of? Yeah, um, actually looking out your window right now, there's one that looks like sagebrush that isn't. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people as they look past, especially driving down the highway at 80 miles an hour, would not think twice that that wasn't sagebrush. Uh, it is a rubber rabbit brush. And you can see the little yellow flower tops on the top of it from last year. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really great actually for mussel soaks. Things like lavender are very similar and it has a almost lavender or rosemary quality to the stems. And all the new growth has a mint green fuzzy stem and really long linear leaves. And then those flower clusters are umbel shaped, which means it creates a little umbrella on the top. And they're usually yellow when they're blooming. Oh, I'm so glad to know more about rabbit brush. I know that it's rabbit brush, but I don't know what to use it for. But my husband and I are always in conversation about how he wants to get rid of the rabbit brush. And I love it because it's so beautiful in the fall when it just fills the field with those yellow flowers. I think they're beautiful. So I'm maybe I can convince him that they're worth keeping. Yes, <laughs> and they probably help keep the rabbits in their homes, which is the rabbit brush, and away from your other plants. So oh, even yeah, better. that might be a better way to convince him. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. We just saw a little rabbit outside last night, and I know they've been they've been hell on some of our things, some of the things that they eat in our yard. So interesting. Thank you for that. Can you talk a little bit about the collaborations that you have, the connections that you've made in the community and how that contributes to your business? You've mentioned a little about collaborations, but let's go a little bit more deeply into that. So when I was first getting started as a side hustle, I was working four or five different jobs, which is exhausting, but probably about the same level as owning your own business, to be honest. <laughs> I work four or five jobs now just in my own company. Right. Um, so I was working with the college doing Ollie or community ed classes, and I still offer a few of those now, teaching the same things that I would be teaching now in my, my business. So mm -hmm. 
cooking, gardening, foraging. I've taught things about, you know, digital notebooks that help organize your life. And it was just really fun to be able to share those little tidbits with people, even in three-hour sessions or a couple of sessions a month. So that really helped push me to want to teach more people. People were so excited to just hear what I had to say and share what they knew about it as well. That was the best part of starting those classes. I think it's been six years ago Mm. now. And other places I've worked, like the North Platte Lodge, I worked out there cooking all the dinners for the lodge guests. And it was awesome to see them coming in off the river after a long day and being really excited about the appetizers that I had or watching their faces when I put out something that they weren't quite sure they knew <laughs> and and still being willing to try it out and tell me like, that was interesting, but I don't know if I'd do it again. Or I never knew I could eat something like that. Now I want to make that at home and asking for recipes. Mm. And so it was really cool, especially sharing with people coming from across the nation, from the East Coast, from Louisiana. Um, Cooking gumbo for people from Louisiana is very intimidating. But I got the the star of approval as long as I put a little less roux in it. (laughs) So it's, it's really cool to like have those little mini collaborations with other guests, but then taking those to places like the Bloomery Farm or Women Building Wyoming or Funky Junk District. I've worked with Art321 quite a bit and Eat Wyoming and and then not just these events or these networking groups but the producers the farmers the ranchers places like Falkenberg's Finest out of Douglas Mm. I'm excited to be able to support someone who's a rancher who's my age who I graduated high school with there are not a lot of ranchers in their you know Mm. (laughs) mid-30s that's not super common and it's becoming more of a homesteader thing for people my age people moving from California or other locations that come out and want to learn some of these skills but for someone my age to really carry on that ranching torch from their family and do it in such a way that is honoring the future not just the past yeah can you say a little bit more about honoring the future not just the past yeah so A lot of what I'm seeing with the growers, the producers, and especially the people that are involved with Eat Wyoming is that it's not just about producing as much as possible right now. It's about working with the climate as it is, especially with our harsh winter this last year. I can see how the producers and the ranchers are pivoting and learning how some of their things were damaged, but there were other things that are doing really well and enjoy, especially this massive amount of rain that Casper has been seeing. And figuring out how to work with the land rather than force it to do something it's not ready to do. And so another example is Wyoming Cowboy Cuts out of Pavilion. Tyler and Angela work with their cattle, chose specific cattle for specific areas that they're grazing and do things like grass-fed, grass-finished, knowing that there's a larger market for people that aren't just wanting traditional beef anymore. And that's not just in Wyoming, that's across the nation and out of the country. They ship out of the country. And so finding a way to be relevant, especially when so many people are anti-meat, 
is very helpful for these ranchers in showing that they're choosing things that are sustainable. So another example would be um, CV grass-fed beef out of Centennial Valley. They chose a Scottish Highlands cow and a Galloway because they work well with high elevation. They do well in harsh cold weather climates and they called them a highway cow, which made me giggle. <laughs> but that cow does so much better in that space just outside of Laramie and they get to produce a little bit better and they can have grass-fed, grass-finished beef without having to put up so much more effort to contain those animals and make them survive the winter. They're already meant to do that. So really focusing on what works with the land and what works towards the future. Yeah, working with instead of trying to force something that isn't in alignment with our climate or with our with our land. Interesting. Yeah, and that does come with you know, a grain of salt. If we want Wyoming produce year-round, there are things we have to do to make that happen. We can't really grow a lot in negative 40 degrees, right? However, I was pleasantly surprised in my garden this year that I didn't get a chance to harvest all my carrots in the fall, and then winter came a little too fast, and I didn't cover them. I didn't do anything that I normally tell people to do mm-hmm. in that situation. And I went, eh, I'll just, you know, dig it up, till it in next year, it'll be fine. And the spring started to come around. Well, the spring of deception started to come around. And these little green tufts started coming out of the dirt where I left my carrots. And I harvested 20 quarts of carrots with a little bit of bug damage and a very mild amount of frost damage on some of them. And I was just blown away. I didn't water it. I didn't cover it. I didn't do anything. And these carrots just came out of the ground in April. Those are resilient carrots. Yeah. And so I'd chosen heirloom varieties that were meant for places like, I don't know, Russia or Siberia, somewhere where it's extra cold like this. I had some carrots bigger than my hand. It just blew my mind. I'm like, there's, there's a way we've just forgotten. And that's where that heirloom skills comes in, choosing the right things that we've just forgotten about. Yeah, so these carrots are growing through, honestly, negative 40, negative 50 degree temperatures where I have bushes in my yard that didn't survive this year. That's pretty incredible that we actually have that food. And now it has me wondering, where did those bushes come from? Probably not Wyoming. Yeah. And I have similar problems in the same space, less than 10 feet away, I have actually one of the most weed-like bushes, a dogwood, growing up in my yard, and it's struggling. I trimmed a little bit of it off, and it is not even fully leafed out yet. It is struggling, but the bush right next to it is doing just fine, and is actually doing better than last year. And so it really depends on the plant itself. Is it in the right environment, or has it overgrown its space? And if it looks bad this year, it could actually look way better next year. It maybe needed that frost, the damage to help prune back those roots or get rid of those extra pieces, and then it will flourish more next year. And so seeing the ebb and flow of our climate is really important. It's not necessarily that not everything works. It's just that maybe it needed a break. 
which I am trying to really hold on to in my mental space. <laughs> Sometimes we need a break. Yes, our plants do. We do as well. So let's shift just a little bit to business. Tell me a little bit about the hardest part of running your business in your experience, side hustle wise, and since you've really dove in to Illuminative. I would say I really enjoy the cooking part. That's always been the thing that I'm good at and, and putting those things together. And I like setting up those special events and being able to entice people to eat certain things first and kind of really using that art part of culinary arts to attract people to a certain dish or the colors and textures. That's always been my thing. But when it comes to trying to juggle that and doing dishes and doing event planning and marketing and accounting and (laughs) thinking about hiring people and then putting together a business plan to try to put together funds for a mobile unit or a actual startup kitchen, because there's not a lot of commissary options anywhere in Wyoming, to be quite honest, because I've looked. Um, So finding that balance between all of those duties and seeing how much my time is worth while looking at all of these tasks has been a huge, huge eye-opener for me. And I knew there were a lot of those things because I was actively involved in some management of the other places that I was at. But really seeing how much it can pile up in a hurry and knowing like to not be afraid to ask for help to find the other businesses or other chefs that are doing similar things and saying hey what are your experiences can you share those with me and can I learn something that will make this easier on me or make it more enjoyable not necessarily just easy but so that I don't feel like we're working the 14 hour days of my college years mm-hmm. all over again And finding other professionals that do their jobs well, like for accounting, finding people who I can trust to do the things that I don't have to be actively involved in every day. I'd like to know what's happening, but I don't have to be the one doing that specific duty and knowing that it's okay to let that go. I don't have to hold on to everything so tight that I smother myself with all these duties. Yeah, so you wear a lot of hats. In, in a startup business and being able to let some of those lesser fun <laughs> duties go. I, I so get that. The accounting part, I can so relate with. That is not my favorite part of my business either, Leah. So tell me a little bit. I'm going to go back to a word that, that you use that I'm not sure if I know the definition of, commissary. Would you define that for me? Yeah, um, a lot of people have heard it in the military sense of there's a giant kitchen, that's where you go to eat. Um, If you're in the Navy, it's usually the galley. But, you know, for commissaries in Denver, they have these established kitchen spaces that are inspected that people can rent either on a monthly basis or an hourly basis. They can rent dry storage space that's lockable. They can rent fridge or freezer space, these these spaces are huge, that you can rent a whole locker or a whole separate walk-in. And 
You can also rent a space to plug in your food truck or keep it where it's someplace safe. Where you're not having to park it in the alleyway behind your house, which I've seen a ton of food trucks doing that here in town, and I get it. There's not a space like that for us here. And so creating a space for people who have a vision, who want to start a food business that don't have 100000 or more to put into startup, who want to know if this is a viable thing that they want to do. For people who haven't been in the industry for 17 to 15 years and just want to make hot dogs and they don't know what goes into that, it's a better space for them to explore that and try it without having to have put that much extra startup money into and having a safe space. So from the health code standpoint, having a safe, clean space to keep people's food at the right temperature at the right time, you know, in the right environment without any extra molds or anything like that. Um, Creating that safe space is really what chefs or cooks need to get started. And we don't really have those options here. So a commissary space could be useful for a lot of people in your position. And I think you are working toward transitioning out of that need as well. Let's talk a little bit about what you see in your future. Yeah, so I would really like to have a mobile space, something that I can bring to people's homes, to special events, because a lot of these venues across the state don't need to put all the money into a full commercial kitchen and not even a full catering kitchen, which would be warmers and coolers and everything. There are a few and they are awesome. However, not everyone has, you know, 50 to $150,000 or 250, like the fairgrounds probably put into their nice new kitchen. Not everyone has that space. And so to be able to bring something mobile that has what I need to create the food for those guests and then just have a staging area when I get there, some larger space to put things in. That's really my goal is to be able to become more mobile, to go places where people need me for those events, whether they're markets or actual catering events. And you just take your kitchen that is fully inspected and ready to go with you. Yeah. And right now, And most of catering, to be quite honest, is all about moving things. I feel like I'm a moving company that also has food, which is exhausting sometimes. (laughs) And so it's nice to not have to pick up and pack everything you own to cook with, drop it off at a kitchen, do stuff, and then pick it all back up and leave again. If I'm going to do that, I want to do it for the event and watch that magic happen where it is an empty space. It's all set up. The guests enjoy the event and then everything gets torn down and it's empty again. That's the cool transition that I love about catering is creating this magical space that is magically gone when we're done. (laughs) So having a a mobile space would be really helpful and then keeping a commissary kitchen so that I can have a space to prep on a regular basis. And I do have that right now, a smaller space. And so improving that space so that I can increase the productivity that I can have and hire more people that are passionate about what I'm passionate about. So for now, Leah, how do we find out more about you if we are wanting to take a class or have you cater an event? Where, where, where do we find that information? So right now I have a website on Eat Wyoming. It's just eatwyoming.com backslash heirloom and native. 
all one word, all lowercase, and and is A-N-D. And so I post things about workshops. You can request prepared meals consultations. There's a free item that you can purchase that has a Google form that you fill out everything that you know about your eating style, your dietary restrictions, your allergens, what you actually like to eat and what you don't want to eat at all. And so we can have that conversation of what prepared meals are right for you. And the same thing goes for special events. There's another consultation on my website that you can fill out and say, this is the event I'm looking to do. This is my vision for that. And this is the date. Are you able to help me? And from there, we can take a deposit to book that date and then build that menu the way that you truly want to see it with the seasonality of Wyoming food. So it's customizable. Everything that you do sounds, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier about the collaboration and the connection and creating that that space, that specialness with the people that you're working with and to create a shared experience. Yeah, it really is. And that's partially what I like to show on my Facebook and Instagram as well, is sharing things like the Terra Farm and Nursery, which is Laurel Graham. She's all about permaculture and working with the environment and creating a sustainable space. And so she teaches people already about native plants. And so I don't always have to create that content to be able to share those tidbits of knowledge. I can share people who are already doing really good work and share that with the people that follow me and show how I use those things in my own cooking and teach people how to roast a pumpkin or chop an onion, something little that I have already totally forgotten that people don't know how to do. And I do it in about five to 10 minutes and it's done. But some people it takes an hour to do. And so realizing that I can share those little bits on social media and really bring people into what I would like to teach them. Yes, I saw you roast a pumpkin on social media and it was so helpful to me. One of those things that I never did. I think every pumpkin pie I ever had as a child came from a can. So just loving how you put that together. How does that pumpkin get into that can? And how can I skip the can and just go straight from the pumpkin to the pumpkin pie or to a pumpkin pasta or, you know, whatever it is. So I appreciate you for that, Leah. I appreciate you for so many things. The creating that connection between the earth and us and not having that in between. Of course, we love having our grocery stores and all of the conveniences that we have and also understanding that there is that connection and how can we use what we have and appreciate what we have in Wyoming. I think I've had an idea that, oh, I live in Wyoming, I don't live in a farming community. And so that means that that isn't available to me. And through knowing you and watching you and talking to you about your business, I can see that that isn't the case. So. I appreciate you. I find you incredibly inspiring. I know a lot of other people do as well. And I hope that some new people will um, tune in and understand the beauty of Wyoming and Wyoming food and our native plants and cooking in a new and creative way. So thank you for being here today. I 
I appreciate you, and I'll be looking forward to seeing you again in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's always wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Leading Life, a production by the Center for Conscious Communication, hosted by me, Stacy Carruth. I'd like to thank Ty Pierce for his artwork and technical guidance. If you haven't already, make sure to follow Leading Life on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you again next time.